others that uh, uh, were involved in the healing ministry long before us. The number one question, and therefore hindrance, that uh, people that are battling sickness and disease have is concerning God's will for them to be healed. So let's think a little bit and, and recount some things that we know from the Bible. We know that God created the earth in six days, and at the end of the six days, he, he rested, the Bible says. Literally, the wording is that he made an end of everything that he, that he created. In other words, if God didn't create something within those first six days here on the earth, he didn't make it. Well, what day did he make sickness? He never did. We know that when God finished his work of creation after the six days, he looked in, uh, at what he had done and declared it to be very good. And there was nothing that was here that could harm man. There was nothing here to bring him pain or anguish of any, so any type or any sort. God made a perfect creation for man to inhabit. Now, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's no sickness in heaven. And so when God created the earth and made it free from sickness and disease, everything that God created that he looked upon and said is very good, we have to conclude and understand that everything that he made was his will. He's not making anything contrary to his own will. And therefore, we know that the will of God in heaven is for there to be no sickness or disease, nothing that can hurt or harm man. And therefore, it would have to be the same thing. The same thing would have to be true when he made the earth in six days. He didn't make sickness because he didn't want sickness to be here. It's just that simple. It was not his will for sickness and disease to hinder mankind in any way. Well, where did sickness come from then? According to the scripture, it came as a result of man's disobedience and his fall from a place of righteousness. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam in the Garden of Eden, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. You remember God said to Adam and Eve, if they disobeyed him and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which he had commanded them not to eat. He said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, they didn't die physically that day. Adam lived for 930 more years after the fall before physical death overtook him. Well, then why did God say, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die? Because that's the day that they died spiritually. That's the day that they were separated and estranged from God. And the Bible tells us, verse 12 here tells us that everything, all the consequences of sin, spiritual death, sickness, and poverty came as a result of Adam's individual sin. Sinning on behalf of mankind as the federal head representing mankind. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. He's simply saying that everybody's sin was wrapped up in Adam. Or maybe we better say it this way Adam's sin encompassed us all. It encompassed us all. Now, we know also in um, several places. We'll make mention of Deuteronomy chapter 28, where it tells us what the blessings of, the, of obedience to the law were. First 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 tells us all the blessings that would come upon Israel, those that were under the law, the Mosaic covenant. All these blessings will come on you if you keep the law. And then the rest of the, the, of the chapter 
is all these curses shall come upon you if you disobey. Now, it's very clearly stated in Deuteronomy chapter 28. There are 14 different sins, I'm sorry, 14 different diseases that are identified. And then later in the chapter, almost all the way to the end of the chapter, it says, also every sickness not written in this book will come upon you through disobedience or because of your disobedience. So we see very clearly that sickness is a punishment for breaking the commands of God. Thank God we're redeemed from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that or so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. So we see therefore that God's plan for Israel, even under the old covenant, which is not as good a covenant as we have. The Bible says we have a better better covenant established upon better promises. But even under the old covenant, God did everything that was possible for him to do at that time to remove sickness from his people, to put an end to sickness and disease. Now, you know as well as I do that Paul said the whole purpose for the law was to show man that he couldn't do it on his own, to show man that he could not live a righteous life under his own power by keeping a law that was impossible for him to keep. So God's trying to remove sickness and disease even from mankind under the old covenant. Now, what was it that Jesus came to do? We see Jesus coming and fulfilling the law of Moses, fulfilling the old covenant, and establishing through his his, uh, sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection, establishing for mankind a new and better covenant, established on better promises, established on his own blood. But what was it that Jesus came to do here on the earth? Well, there's a lot of ways that we could answer that. Maybe the best way to say it would be we could answer that question in a lot of different ways or using a lot of different terminology. But I think it's safe for us. Could we say that he came to bring us righteousness? You can't have eternal life without being made righteous, can you? So we see another place the Bible says about Jesus' purpose was that he was manifest, made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. So what this means is that Jesus came to make things right as they were originally in the Garden of Eden. He came to pay the price for everything that fell upon man and man was held captive or in bondage to. He came to change everything to make things right again. One of the meanings of the word righteousness is rightness. Now that's little awkward for us to speak in those terms or to use that word but literally what it means is being made righteous by the blood of Jesus fixes or reverses everything that mankind everything that fell upon mankind as a result of Adam's sin so we could therefore conclude that provision abundance is rightness for man healing from sickness and disease or the removal of sickness and disease, whichever way you want to say it, is a part of rightness. It's a part of what God originally intended. It's a part of what God created. Now, folks, if that was God's original intent, since he never changes, it has to be his present-day intent. If God ever wanted mankind to be free from sickness and disease, then it means he has to always want mankind to be free from sickness and disease. 
Are you with me? All right, let's look at some application of this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we'll start reading in verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day that as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought into bed a man which, which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him, the sick, the crippled guy, before Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch, the bed he was laying on, into the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Well, that just freaks out the Pharisees and the doctors of, of the law big time. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this? Which speaketh blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Which, whether or which is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon the earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed or couch. And go into thine house. And immediately he arose up before them. And took up that whereon he lay. And departed to his own house. Glorifying God. And, when, and they were all amazed. And they glorified God. And were filled with fear. Saying we have seen strange things today. Now I've got a question for you folks. Upon what basis. Did Jesus forgive this guy's sins. The Pharisees, the scribes, the doctors of the law that were there, the learned and educated ones, the ones that knew the, the Old Covenant, what we know of as the Old Testament, Law and the Prophets, back and forth. They're saying, their position is, this is blasphemy because only God can forgive sins. Well, what's the basis for God forgiving sins? We know that the Old Testament established a ritual sacrifice for the purpose of Man atoning for his sins. But it was a temporary thing. You remember that there were sin offerings and trespass offerings, meal offerings and all kinds of stuff, drink offerings and so forth. But one day a year particularly, on the Day of Atonement, there was a very, very specific and detailed ritual that took place and had to take place in order for it to work for the benefit of the people. Whereby a lamb was slain and the blood of that sinless, spotless lamb Without spot or blemish, the Bible says over and over again. That lamb had to be examined carefully, thoroughly, to make sure that it qualified. And if it did qualify, then the lamb was slain, and the blood was taken and applied to the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was. We all know about that, right? But it was a temporary thing. It had to be redone year after year after year. The Day of Atonement had to, be, had to take place every year. Signifying that the lamb, as spotless as it may be without spot or blemish, the lamb's blood could only temporarily cover, not remove sin, but temporarily cover over sin so that God would have a right 
to bless the people. Now, here's the point I want you to get, folks. God could not take shortcuts. In the payment for sin, whether it was the Old Testament Day of Atonement or whether it's Jesus offering his own blood, every little part of what was commanded had to be adhered to. They had to take great pains to do things just exactly right. Well, if that was that way with the Old Testament sacrifice on a temporary atonement, how much more important would that be concerning Jesus offering his blood as our sacrifice once and for all to make an eternal sacrifice for us? So therefore, if Jesus is indiscriminately doing something, forgiving this man's sin, contrary to the law of God or without a foundation for doing so, then he becomes a lawbreaker himself. Now, when Jesus forgave this man's sin, what happened? Was he born again? His sins being forgiven him didn't make him a new creature in Christ Jesus. Nobody could do that until after Jesus was raised from the dead. So it didn't cause this man to be saved. It didn't cause him to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. It didn't bring about the new birth for him. It just offered him forgiveness of sins. Very simply, and I don't mean to minimize it, but very simply, it offered him forgiveness of sins. Now, if Jesus came to the earth with some other purpose or some other intent than to make a sacrifice for mankind, an eternal once and for all sacrifice for mankind without, with his own blood, is there any way that he would have had authority to forgive this guy's sin in Luke chapter 5? There's no way he could have. But the fact that he was bringing to the earth knowledge of God, knowledge of God's will, and opening the door to salvation for each and every one who receive him by faith based on his own sacrifice. Since he was here to bring the plan of redemption to a, uh, to a close or to provide a redemptive work for mankind, an eternal redemptive work for mankind, then that's what gave him the authority or the right to forgive this man's sin. If that hadn't been his purpose, he would have been a lawbreaker. He would have, been sin, uh, 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 he would have partaken of sin himself. But since he came to the earth to make a redemption, finish the plan of redemption for mankind, and that plan of redemption included not just forgiveness of sins, but the removal of sins, for Jesus to pay a ransom at a high cost, the cost of his own blood, then he had a right, even though the Pharisees didn't recognize it because they didn't believe who he was. But he knew that he had a right to forgive man's sins because he's here on the earth to fulfill the plan of redemption, even though it wasn't fulfilled at that moment that he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Since he was here on the earth for the specific purpose of carrying out God's plan of redemption, then he had a right to provide for everyone, not just this guy, but for everyone, forgiveness of sins, because that's what he came to do. Are you with me? Then the next question becomes very simple. Upon what basis did Jesus heal the sick while he was here? Jesus is saying it's one and the same. He's asking the, the uh, educated ones, the scholars, 
the experts in the law of Moses. He's saying which is easier to say. Your sins be forgiven you or say rise, take up your bed and walk. Now we might have a tendency to look at that and say, well, it's easy for us to say. We can answer very simply. It's easier to say that your sins are forgiven because nobody can see that. It's a whole lot easier to say that and not even necessarily to expect physical evidence. But once you put yourself out there and say, be healed in the name of Jesus, everybody's going to see one way or the other what takes place. Now, I hope you know what I mean by that. Some healing is gradual. Some things start at the point that the word of God is spoken or prayer is made, and then it progresses over time. But we still would have to conclude that it's a whole lot easier to tell somebody their sins are forgiven than to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But if Jesus had not had the same purpose in fulfilling and completing God's plan of redemption, if healing didn't carry the same weight as forgiveness of sins, then Jesus had absolutely no basis or foundation to heal anybody at all. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 3. Folks, I want you to understand something. The best evidence that God heals the sick is that Jesus healed the sick when he was here. Now, thank God it didn't stop there. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Romans chapter 3 Let's start reading with verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without or apart from the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The Old Testament says over and over again, several of the prophets prophesied over and over again, how that the Messiah would come and forgive all our iniquities and heal all our diseases. Over and over again, the Old Testament tells us that the work of Jesus will provide for man to become a new spirit and have the spirit of God placed on the inside of him. So he says, but now the righteousness of God without or apart from the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now, what a mouthful that is. What's he saying? He's very simply saying that the only claim on righteousness under the old covenant was keeping the law. And under the old covenant, the Bible says God counted it to them or imputed it unto them, unto mankind, those that kept the law of Moses. He imputed righteousness to them. In other words, he counted it to their favor even though it wasn't theirs yet. And it couldn't be theirs until Jesus paid the price and carried his blood into the, the holy of holies, the heavenly holy of holies. Nobody could be saved. Nobody could have righteousness. That's the reason, folks, why in the Old Testament, when one of the Old Testament saints died or those that were believing in uh, the word and those that were looking for the Messiah, that's why they had to go to a holding place called Abraham's bosom because they had not been made righteous. Therefore, they could not stand in the presence of God. So God created this place, this holding place called Abraham's bosom. It's also called paradise. It's what Jesus refers to as paradise when he's hanging on the cross talking to one of the thieves. 
God had to create this holding place for the Old Testament saints to dwell or to exist since their spirits have left their bodies. But they're waiting for the Messiah to come finish the work of redemption, God's plan of redemption. And then they could be ushered into heaven, which is exactly what the Bible tells us. It says, just as Jesus ascended up to the Father, first he has descended into the lower parts of the earth. And then he held captivity captive. That just simply means that those Old Testament saints that were held captive in Abraham's bosom, don't get me wrong, it was a place of comfort, not a place of torment. But they were not free to leave there to go and be in the presence of God because they hadn't been made new creatures. They hadn't been born again. Are you with me? So he said, now that righteousness is ours through faith in Jesus' sacrifice. That's what the Old Testament saints couldn't have because Jesus hadn't yet come. Notice again verse 25, it says, whom God has set forth, talking about Jesus, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. The word propitiation is kind of a difficult word. It literally means mercy seat. Now the only mercy seat we know of is the one that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. There was a place on top of the Ark of the Covenant where the, the, on both sides, angels were fashioned out of gold and their, their wings were covering their faces and stretched out to one another. And underneath the wings, one's facing this way, one's facing that way. Underneath those wings is a golden bowl called the mercy seat. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest and only the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on the earth, whether it was the tabernacle in the wilderness or whether it was later one of the other temples, Solomon's temple or Herod's temple, one or the other. And they would take that eternal blood. I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself. They would take the blood of the lamb that was slain for the sake of Israel for the one-year period of time. And they would apply that to the mercy seat. And God looked upon that as a substitute. The word propitiation, the only time it is ever used is talking about a substitute. Jesus was our substitute. But it says that Jesus himself not only provided for his own blood to be carried into the heavenly holy of holies, which the Bible says he did in Hebrews chapter 9. It says Jesus entered in once and for all into the heavenly holy of holies. So there must be a temple in heaven that resembles the ones here on the earth. Or should maybe it would be better for us to say the ones here on the earth were fashioned after the likeness of the one that's in heaven as God described it to Moses. But propitiation is always a substitute term. And it's saying that God made Jesus our substitute. Now it's very important to keep that in mind. He made him a substitute for us to declare his righteousness. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. Notice it's not atonement of sins. The word remission means to remove or to ransom. So Jesus was a substitute to ransom us by his precious blood. Once and for all, from the penalty of spiritual death that came upon all men when Adam sinned and fell. So it's talking about Jesus being our substitute. To declare, verse 26, to declare at this time his righteousness. Please notice this last phrase. That he, God, might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. That very simply means this, folks. It means that God could not cut any corners. He had to do things justly. He had to do things precisely. He had to do things to satisfy 
the court, the heavenly court of justice. And remember, we read earlier in, in this chapter that the wages of sin is death. So Jesus could not cut any corners whatsoever in paying the ultimate price, the price that was necessary to bring about his righteousness. Now, he was able to forgive sins on the earth because this is his eternal purpose. He's here on the earth. He came to the earth to live and then to be sacrificed so that his blood could make an eternal justification for us. So God does not just want to be the justifier. Thank God he wanted to do that. He does not want to just to be making a, he does not want just to make us righteous. But he has to be just in doing so. He has to do this thing so precisely that Satan can't come back and accuse him of cutting the corners of the price that had to be paid because he loved his son so much. So Jesus took upon himself every bit of the punishment, every bit of the, of the anguish and torment that all of the sins of mankind were accosted upon him. Because again, he's our substitute. He's the propitiation. So, that means if Jesus did anything here on the earth that was not a part of the plan of redemption that would be completed through the shedding of his blood and the presenting of that blood in the heavenly holy of holies, then Jesus would have been a lawbreaker. He would have been an unworthy sacrifice. So the Bible's telling us showing us so clearly that if Jesus healed the sick when he was here and over and over and over again the Bible talks about the multitudes that came to Jesus and he healed them all you can't find anybody in Jesus' ministry that came to him and he said no healing's not for you healing was made available for everybody and that's the basis for what Jesus healed on the earth that's the foundation for why he was able to heal every manner of sickness and every manner of disease because it had to be a part of God's plan of redemption. Now turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I hope this is not too confusing to keep up with. Because when you see it, it will bring revelation to you about God's will and plan and purpose. Let's start reading in verse uh, Verse 50. Really, the whole chapter is important, but maybe we can just get the import by starting in verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the word trump there means shout, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we all shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible, talking about the body, shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Now, let me ask you a question, folks. If the body, if the physical body was not provided for in the redemptive work of Jesus, how can there be a resurrection? 
how could corruption, the corrupted bodies that we have through the experience of sin through Adam's fall, how could our corrupted bodies put on incorruption if there was not provision made for the physical body in the redemptive work of Jesus? How could our mortal bodies, which remember they became mortal when Adam fell, before that, there was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind. There was nothing that could kill him. He was in God's image. He was an eternal being, free from sin and sickness and disease. But once he fell, once man fell through Adam's sin, then our bodies became mortal. Our bodies became corrupted. But that's not the way it's always going to be, is it? The Bible says that when Jesus descends, we just read it here, we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. What does that mean, changed? Well, the Bible tells us and explains it to us in other places, several other places actually, that our bodies will be changed and the, the experience of sin will be removed. And then we will receive re, what the Bible calls redeemed bodies that are not subject to sin, that are not held in bondage by sin in any form whatsoever. See, when Jesus comes back for the church, what's commonly known as the rapture, when Jesus comes back from the church and we're caught up into heaven, the Bible tells us that immediately when this trumpet sounds, our bodies are changed. We receive eternal bodies, bodies that are not subject to sickness and disease, not subject to decay, not subject to sin in any form whatsoever. Folks, nobody argues that. Everybody that believes in the name of Jesus knows that's true. That's universally accepted. But what's the basis? What's the foundation? Remember, God is just and the justifier. He has to do things legally. He has to make sure that he goes the extra mile to make sure that the, the claims of justice are satisfied. So since the whole church world acknowledges that we are going to receive a redeemed body, that there's still a work for our bodies to do, to be redeemed, How could that be if, if the physical body was not provided for in God's plan of redemption? And if the physical body was provided for in the plan of redemption, how are we going to know what was provided for it? Jesus gives us an example. He heals each and everyone that comes to him to receive. I'll say it again, folks. The best evidence that we have that God's will is healing for everybody in every circumstance, in every situation, the best evidence we have that God will heal you and me is the fact that Jesus healed the sick when he was here on the earth. Now, again, if he's healing the sick here on the earth, but physical healing is not part of what's provided for the physical body in God's plan of redemption that he's here to finish and complete, then he's a lawbreaker. He's operating, uh, operating contrary to the confines, the wonderful blessings of his redemptive work through his sacrifice. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus could not have legally healed the sick if healing was not part of God's plan of redemption. He would be working counterproductive or counter to God's plan and purpose. And remember, Jesus said, I always do the things that please my Father. He said, the works that I do are not of me, but it's the Father in me that doeth the works. That means every one of God's 
every one of the examples of healing the, uh, the uh, instances and healing events that took place in Jesus' ministry, he said God the Father did that. Well, if God the Father did that, then it's the will of God for it to be done. God's not going to operate contrary to his, his own purpose and his own will. So when Jesus healed the sick, it was because it was the will of God for all to be healed. When Jesus healed them all, it had to be the will of God for all to be healed. And if the redemption of the body being changed in a moment of time at the rapture, if that's the only provision made for the physical body, then Jesus was sinning when he healed the sick. Thank God he wasn't. We've got an absolute proof that healing, physical healing for the body, is in God's plan of redemption. Because that was the basis and could, only, could have been the only basis for why Jesus healed on the earth before he went to the cross. See, now if Jesus went to the cross, offered his own blood, and then came back to the earth and stayed here for three years healing the sick, then we would know that healing was a part of the redemptive work of Jesus, right? But that's not the way God operates. God operates as if something is already done once it is begun. That's why Jesus was able to forgive sins before he went to the cross. Because he was here to do the work to remit sins. Therefore, he could give man a head start on it. And the only way, the only foundation, the only reason why Jesus could have healed the sick here on the earth was that it was part of God's plan of redemption. And folks, the Bible could not be clearer about that. Talking about the work Jesus did in Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. David said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Well, what benefits are you talking about, David? Who forgiveth all thine iniquities and who healeth all thy diseases. That's why James was inspired by the Holy Ghost to write to the church and say, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven. It doesn't even take a new prayer to be forgiven of your sins. He said it's the same prayer of faith that heals the body that makes the spirit new or provides the spiritual benefit of forgiveness of sins over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, it's hard to find places where sickness and disease is not teamed up with sin when the description is being made of God's work of righteousness through Jesus. It's hard to find places where they're separated because the vast majority of the time sin is dealt with at the same time the physical body is healed. Over and over and over again. And remember the premise. God has to be just in being our justifier. He can't cut corners. He can't give Jesus a break because he loves him. The total price had to be, had to be paid. And Jesus' earthly ministry is an example. It shows us. It reveals to us just what the final work of sacrifice of his life would be. Healing is in God's plan of redemption. Healing for the physical body is guaranteed under the same conditions that the remission of sins is.
Well, what do we do to have our sins remitted? What do we do to be born again? What do we do to make, become a new creature in Christ? You accept the work that Jesus did on the cross as being done for you. It's a finished work, and you take advantage of it through believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. So then how do we receive our healing? Exactly the same way. God didn't, make one, didn't set up one system for the forgiveness or remission of sins and another system for the healing of the body. It's all the same. It's a work of faith. Just as we take Jesus as our Savior because he was sacrificed on the cross for us, we take him as our healer because his blood paid the same price for sickness and disease as it paid for sin. I want to ingrain this, folks. I want to hammer this in. If the physical body was not provided for in God's plan of redemption, then there can be no resurrection. Now, I don't know of any churches or any church group or any denomination, Christian group or uh, or otherwise, that says that there won't be a resurrection. Some people argue about when it's going to be, whether it's going to be the rapture of the church, whether it's going to be before the tribulation, middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation. But everybody agrees, everybody without exception, everybody agrees that the physical body will be redeemed. Again, I ask how? Upon what basis? Do they claim that healing was not provided for, but the redeemed body will be provided for? How's that possible? It's not. The resurrection of the body can only take place if provision was made for the body in Jesus' work of redemption. Jesus seemed to believe that it would be. Of course, I'm speaking facetiously about that. He knew. He knew that the physical body would be provided for not just in receiving our redeemed bodies, but also in taking the punishment upon himself for sickness and disease. I like Dr. Robert Young's translation of Isaiah 53. It's verse 6, I believe it is, where the latter part of the verse says, And Jehovah caused it to be meet or appropriate or right to lay upon Jesus the punishment of us all. Sickness is very definitely identified in Scripture as the punishment for broken sin or the broken commandments, sinning against the commandments of God. It's not the only one. It's not the only punishment there is, but Deuteronomy 28 leaves no doubt whatsoever that it's a big part of the punishment or reward such as it is for disobeying the law of Moses. Thank God Jesus paid that punishment for us. He paid that price for us. And God didn't cut any corners. I keep going back to that same thing. God didn't cut any corners. Now, if it had been me with my son, I'd have cut corners. I would have tried to make this as easy as possible. I would have tried to save him from as much pain and anguish as necessary. But God had to let him go through the whole thing so that he could be just in his justification of us. Let me close with one last scripture. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 tells us about the faith of Abraham. 
Let's start reading in verse, uh, well, verse 21. It's talking about Abraham's faith. And it says, and being fully persuaded, this is a, a characteristic of his strong faith. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Get that, folks. Here's that word imputed. It was imputed or counted to his credit for righteousness. He couldn't really be righteous until Jesus offered his own blood, made the eternal sacrifice for us. But it was imputed. It was counted to his credit for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. He's saying that the same imputed righteousness that was counted to Abraham's credit is counted to our credit because now Jesus has done the work. But when it's imputed to us, it's imputed because the work is finished. For Abraham, he still had to wait in that holding place in Abraham's bosom or in paradise. He still had to wait for the sacrifice to be made by the Messiah. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That word offenses is the word punishment. Who was delivered for our offenses or for our punishment. Again it goes back to what the Bible says about God laid upon him, Jesus. The punishment of us all. That's sickness and disease. It's spiritual death too. It's poverty too. But it includes sickness and disease. Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Here we're back to the word justifier. Justifier. As we read in Romans chapter 3. God had to be just in justifying us. He had to be just in making the way. For man to be made righteous. To be made a new creature in Christ Jesus. And here where it says he was raised for our justification, that word for is not the word for. The translators seem to think that it was saying that Jesus was raised for us to be justified or for us to be made righteous. And that's certainly true. But the word is related to time. The word for is the word when. And it's saying that Jesus was delivered up for us to pay the punishment for us all. And then he was raised again. The punishment ended when we were justified. There came a moment in time, folks. A real moment in time. Where the price was paid. Once and for all. Man's punishment had been carried and borne by Jesus himself. And at that moment and not one moment longer. God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus became the firstborn or first begotten of many brethren. Jesus had to be born again just like you and I have to be born again. You and I have to be born again because we're held in bondage to spiritual death through our uh, lineage from Adam. Jesus had to be born again because he was made sin as a substitute for you and me. But you've got the same new birth experience that Jesus does. Now think about this, folks. How stupid would it be for Jesus to sit on the right hand of God the Father and just say, lean over to his Father and say, you know, I just feel so unworthy. Once I was made sin, not through any actions of my own, but once I acquiesced to being made sin and my nature took upon itself spiritual death and I paid the price, I just have never have felt right since then. 
Wouldn't that be silly? His new birth, his being born again from spiritual death unto life, eternal life, was complete. It was provided for of God. Just like yours is. Just like mine is. Jesus has no problem accepting the reality that he was born again and had to be born again because somebody had to be made death. Somebody had to pay the price for the death, spiritual death, that's the wages of sin. Thank God Jesus did for us. And in every way, in every respect, God was just in justifying us. He was just in making us righteous or opening the way for us to be made righteous. We received it much later than the time that it came, certainly. But God was just in the way that he justified us. He was just in the way he made us righteous. Folks, that ought to be a rallying cry for us to stand up and declare in the face of the devil and even our own shortcomings to declare boldly that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. We look at it like we're not righteous ourselves and we certainly don't do many things that make us to appear to be righteous and so we shy away from it when in fact we ought to do just exactly the opposite because what pleases God is that we accept it by faith. Ignore our feelings and say we're righteous because God said we are. He takes great pleasure, much greater pleasure in that than us trying to do something on our own to look righteous. Faith always pleases God. So when we stand up in the face of the enemy, even after we stumble and fall, when we stand up in the face of the enemy and say, Mr. Devil, you may have tripped us up, but that doesn't change one thing about who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing makes the heart of the Father gladder than that. Nothing. He likes that a whole lot better than us saying, well, Mr. Devil, I've been a week and I haven't sinned. I've got you. That doesn't do anything for God. God looks on us and says, what do we need Jesus for then? But when we accept the truth because of what Jesus did and not because of ourselves, that's faith in action. Thank God he was just in justifying us. I'll say it one last time, folks. The best evidence we've got that healing is part of God's redemptive plan that's already been accomplished is the fact that Jesus healed the sick when he was here on the earth. The only basis, the only foundation he would have had for healing, bringing healing to the sick is if it was part of the plan of redemption that he would complete. Thank God it is. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for revealing yourself to us. We declare that we're righteous by the blood of Jesus. We declare that we're healed because Jesus paid the price for sickness and disease. We declare that we're financially prosperous and provided for because Jesus paid the price for it. We declare, Father, our faith in your great, great gift, that gift of righteousness. Satan, we serve notice on you. We refuse to allow sickness and disease to remain on our bodies. You may have a right to test us with it. You may have a right to bring it to us. But you have no right to make it stay when we stand upon the word of God in faith. So we tell you to go. 
We command sickness and disease to leave our bodies. We call our bodies well in the name of Jesus. By the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. And there's nothing you can do about that, Mr. Devil. We know who we are. We know what belongs to us. So you take your stuff and go. In Jesus' name. And everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Have a great week.